Hey, what's up? It's Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are an automotive history show. This week, we're talking the life story of Gilles Villeneuve, Canada's most important Formula One driver. This guy is a national hero up there and truly one of the greats taken from us too soon. He started out racing snowmobiles when he was a teenager. He invented one of the most important snowmobile innovations ever, which is crazy for a Formula One driver to do, and eventually became just one of the most legendary drivers of the 1970s. This guy raced for such a short time, but had such a large impact, and it was super cool to talk about a Quebecois racing legend. That's Past Gas by Dona Media, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Number one automotive podcast, Past Gas. Anyone who's ever been to Speed Week at the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah knows the incomparable feeling of standing on this hollowed ground. Some dream, work, scrimp, and save their entire lives to get a chance to make a pass at breaking a land speed record here. The story is as old as time, but perhaps none have embodied it better than Kiwi motorcycle legend Burt Monroe and his 1920 Indian Scout. But how does an almost 70-year-old man from New Zealand with no sponsorships travel nearly halfway across the globe to achieve a land speed record on a 50-year-old bike that still stands today? What really went on in Burt's shed? And what went into the famed offerings to the gods of speed? Is the real story more complicated than what Anthony Hopkins may have led us to believe? Always is. Hollywood. <laughs> Today on Pass Gas, we relive the unbelievably true story behind the world's fastest Indian and its mythical builder, Burt Monroe. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. Welcome to Past Gas, everybody. My name is Nolan Sykes. Joining me today, we got James Pumphrey. Yo, what's up, you little party mans? <laughs> what's up, you little party mans? Party man. Hello, you little party mans. Dude, I got to get in my little party man mode. Yeah, so, dude. <laughs> drink that water. It's water. Yeah, the Let's cup go. suggests it's not. Remember, we're back on video. No, we're back on so video. So if you say party mode, then you drink out of a permanent, <laughs> reusable It's an, uh, it's an aluminum, cup. like, solo cup. Yeah. That's made by Ball, actually. Made by Ball, who actually who also is like involved pretty heavily in like weapons. Ball is really? yeah. What? It's just like a missile with like that cute jar. <laughs> yeah, it's like outside. a very twee missile. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm about to turn this. I think into they do missile. like make like missile guidance systems, and they no don't way. even yeah, and they don't even make the jars anymore. They just license the name. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and sitting to my left. Joe Weber. What's up, Scrimp Scrimp Nation? Scrimp it up. Scrimp up that cheap. Scrimp up. Scrimp up cheap gas station shrimp. with that cabbage, baby boys. We should start. I'm going to start a baseball team in Joe's Baseball League, and our name is going to be the Cheap Gas Station Shrimp. Oh, that's, that would go over well. I know. What are your colors? Uh, pink. Yeah. And brown. <laughs> and make yellow. Sure to, uh, make sure to de-vein your shrimp out there, people. You do not want to eat their intestinal tracts. 
Not good for you. A lot of weird pathogens out there in the ocean. Make sure you devein those shrimps out devein there. Devein those shrimp. shrimps. It's not like the mustard that you would find in a crab's head. Mm-mm, That's yum. delicious. That is delicious. I always be sucking them heads. <laughs> Uh, and today I'm a crowd at down oh, from the man. bayou. <laughs> and today we are talking about Burt Monroe. You may if, the uh, opposite of the bayou, yeah, the salt the flats. Salt flats. Um, yeah, if you've seen the world's fastest Indian, that came out like what 20 years ago now. So maybe yeah. probably I disagree with that though because right under the bayou is our salt domes. Okay, devein huh. your shrimp and save the yeah. salt domes. Save the salt <laughs> domes. I went to Bonneville. Very we know. <laughs> well, no, oh, the God, audience dude. doesn't know. Congratulations. Nolan just got back from the Bonneville Soft Flats. 193 miles per hour. Almost yeah. 194. That's almost, crazy. yeah. Almost that. Um, yeah. Uh, if you were listening last year, we did an episode all about the Bonneville Salt Flats. Yeah. I re-listened to that, was laughing at how wrong I was about everything that I said in that episode. Really? Well, yeah. Just because, like, you know, you hear about things i mean yeah. this is how our this is, this is how, how every video every goes. video is you hear about things you do research on it yeah we say it and then you when you actually go to something is when you realize like oh no it's actually done this way and this is how you do it blah 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 so it's very funny in retrospect to like listen back well if um, that's true about bonneville what else is it true about exactly which have been talking out of our patookuses this whole time we really ha- need to have some life experiences whole, you guys the whole bonneville experience really uh Changed my entire outlook, not just because going fast is fun, but because of that fact where it's like, oh, we talk a lot about stuff that we haven't actually experienced. No, we have very little life experience. We're just like sitting here in a cave in Inglewood, California. So that was a huge, huge uh, shift. I've come back a lot calmer, too. I feel like that's cool. Uh, once you've seen 193, are you? Is, does that make you the fastest host at Donut? I think uh, it does. Yeah, I mean, aside so. from planes, aside from planes, yeah, yeah planes are fast. Yeah, planes are so a lot faster. Kind of like not even that. Cool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, it was a really insane experience. Um, it's weird because uh-huh. uh, there's no points of reference for how yeah, fast you're going. Yeah, so you're telling me I was there to get my licenses. So. Yeah. If you just have a driver's license, you're qualified. You can just go out there and run as long as your car can't exceed 125 miles an hour. Uh, my first pass is at 140 miles per hour. Uh, that was my rookie pass. So can't exceed 150 miles an hour, and you have to pull your parachute. And I went 142, pulled the chute, and that's well, the first what's time. what's that like? Dude, it's, it, it lets you know. Yeah. Uh, like I was like, I didn't really know what to expect. But yeah, like you jolted forward a little bit yeah. in the seat. Of course, my straps were like super tied down, and it lets you know it's there. And I was like, man, like I don't know what that's gonna feel like at yeah. two hundred yeah. or like Jeez. the uh, but the speeds that the other guys are going, like they have to use their parachutes. That's so interesting because like our whole experience with braking is based on the limit of the traction on the tire mm-hmm. yeah. on yeah. the surface. Yeah. So like to slow down without tire slipping yeah. any part of it is like really crazy. It was. It was. It's a weird feeling, and I'm. We only ended up doing it once, pulling the chute once. I'll tell you why later. Uh, but yeah, it was a really strange feeling. Yeah. Um, Did you feel like an astronaut? Yeah. 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 Cool. I knew it. <laughs> Especially I knew with like, it. Well, the equipment that I'm wearing, I have my four layer, like four layers nitro suit. Mm-hmm. So it's super thick. It weighs probably like, I want to say 20 pounds at least. Do you have a cooling 
No cool suit. Oh, wow. I mean, it's tiny. This car was built back in the uh, early 90s for a guy like 85% my size. So I'm crammed in there. Uh, yeah, the roll bar has a really weird shape to it because it's like contouring to the aerodynamic body that it's under. So we're running, we have like a, a roadster. We're running a roadster in sea air, if you if you want to know. It's the American Iron Class. Anyway, uh, wearing all that gear. I've got my helmet on, a Hans device. I'm jammed in this car. I've, I'm wearing like these arm restraints. They're like on my wrist. And, oh, like, yeah. To keep my arms from like flying out of the car mm-hmm. if it rolled over or anything like that, because that's happened. In case you thought it was a roller coaster for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like I have very little mobility in the cockpit to move the wheel. I thought it was going to be a big problem uh, to even steer the car. It ended up being okay, but like very little hand mobility to like shift, steer. Oh, yeah, you like, got to shift. Yeah, I got to shift too. Move the brake. Like it's just, I'm so crammed in there. But also, like, I'm sitting in there, and this has been several years in the making. I've seen videos of people crashing. I saw a motorcycle guy take off from the uh, starting line, yeah. and at, like, the quarter mile, his bike, like, wobbled, and, like, he crashed. The fairing came off and all that, and, like, you know, ambulances were there and everything. So I saw that first day there, and I was like, oh, cool. So all this stuff's going through my mind. I'm extremely uncomfortable like my butt is going numb from the seat yeah and like i start like kind of freaking out a little bit i'm yeah. like claustrophobic uh, in there yeah. all this anxiety is going on and i'm just starting to think like dude i, I don't know if i can do this i would just want to get out why of is car. my dad making me do this <laughs> yeah, i'm like why am i doing this this is crazy like i don't know and like i really wanted to get out of that car but i was just like no you gotta yeah. you gotta make the pass you gotta go down like we're finally here of course, as soon as we fire up the car, like all that kind of melts away. Yeah. We're making that pass. And first pass felt pretty cool. My helmet's kind of like bobbling around in the in the roll cage a little bit. So, yeah. And then the next morning we did it. Uh, try again. And we hit 189. Yeah. But I didn't know that. I thought I was going s- even slower. Really? Because oh, wow. just the feeling. <laughs> yeah. The, like there's no points of reference. It's just the flags on the side of the course guiding you down. And I was like, that was definitely slower. Mm-hmm. Like the car just felt. Because the car was a lot more planted, there's more traction that day. Yeah, it just felt slower, it felt because, less sketch because I was doing less work. Yeah, I was like, This is, I, I definitely missed it again. Like, yeah. I was like, I just wasted, I like, I was so disappointed. And then this German guy, Willie, he's he, he was a volunteer working with STTA. He comes up to me, he's like, Yeah, you went 189. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. like, I it was awesome. That was That's a, sick, amazing oh, yeah. feeling. So then we just had one more pass of the week. And we just were like, okay, we just got to, like, see what this thing can do now. Mm Because the next license after that one, after passing 175, is surpassing 200. Mm -hmm. And uh, even before we got there, we weren't exactly sure if the car can do it. The rear end in it, uh, we don't have, like, a quick change to Mm -hmm. change the gear ratio if we needed to. Um, So we had our doubts. And we didn't really know what the motor was making. They never dynoed the engine. Yeah. Uh, They just figured it was making, like, 600. And it sounded so mean. Yeah. Yeah. but again, like when I'm going down the track and the car's shaking and just like, you know, you got your helmet on, it's kind of like plugging your ears a little bit. Like I don't, I'm, I can hear some of the engine, but like uh-huh. not the full body of it. Mm-hmm. We line up for our last pass. We go to start and I hit the start button and the car jolts forward because no. it was in gear. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, oh, on a previous pass, my second pass, I went to shift from third to fourth, just kind of fun. And there, the steering knob had like jiggled loose and fallen uh, onto the floor. <laughs> the and shift I, knob? I couldn't find the shifter for a oh, sec because the vibration from the car. So I, I had to like go and lock tight that for the next one. Anyway, for our last pass, get the car jolts forward. And I'm like, oh, okay, no big deal. Put the car in neutral again. Go to start it. Nothing happens. Uh, I'm like, 
uh, guys, uh, nothing's going on. And they're like, uh, uh, there must have been something electrical. So you almost broke the car, we, too. Um, well, we blew a fuse, yeah. I think. And then we have a jumper pack. There's, mm-hmm. like, some electrical leads on the side of the car we can plug into to uh, do it that way. Mm-hmm. But something in the circuit wasn't working, that fuse. So we couldn't start the car again with the button. So we had to do a push start, oh, like sick. classic Bonneville oh. push start, which I had never done before. I've hardly push started a car before. Yeah. We found a team, like a couple of cars back with a push, a truck with a push bar on it. Yeah. And they were kind enough to do that. And yeah, so get started pushing for like an eighth of, or, you know, 16th of a mile and then let the, let the clutch up. The car yeah. fired right up. And I was sick. like, oh, dude, sick. that's Hell like yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was really amazing. Cool. It was yeah. a really cool feeling just getting that out of the way. Cause I was like, of course, like our entire trip that's been punctuated with like challenges and weird things coming up, like the last pass of the day is also going to have a weird thing happen. <laughs> um, but as I'm going down the course, I noticed the tack wasn't working because the the, the gauges uh, didn't fuse. work anymore because yeah. of the electrical. So I was just going off of oh no, the tack didn't work. The tack didn't work. Whoa. So I was just going off of hearing the engine and like if it Dude. if it just kind of like stalled out a little bit, that's yeah. when I would know when to shift to the next yeah. gear. And, and uh, you ended up going. 193, 193 yeah, miles dude. per hour. Yeah, man. So Hell our yeah. fastest Nolan. It was sick. <laughs> it was awesome. That's cool. I'm glad you had a good weekend. I got engaged. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about some more Bonneville. Yeah. <laughs> Herbert James Monroe was born on March 25th, 1899, on his family farm on the South Island of New Zealand. He was born alongside a twin sister who unfortunately died at birth. Ooh. Then... In 1912, Bert's 13-year-old brother, Ernie, died suddenly after a tree fell on him. So I'm glad we've got two deaths out of the way in the first paragraph. Really quick. Yeah, and I didn't even have to read them. Yeah. Both events affected Bert deeply and likely shaped his lifelong carpe diem perspective. Carpe diem. Bert Monroe's interest in speed began at an early age. He loved to ride the family's fastest horse across the farm, despite the complaints of his father. Train trips to the Invercargill port were also a source of excitement, and the popularization of cars, motorcycles, and aircraft added to Bert's passion for machinery. I rode a train this weekend. That's sick. Eight-hour train ride from San Luis to, to L.A. To, to Surfliner? Nolan, haven't uh, you talked about things you rode in enough? Okay, uh, you're, let's right, go. you're right. You're right. <laughs> it was pleasant. It was a little uncomfortable. That <laughs> Okay, so, okay, when you buy a train ticket, here's what you no, got. I'm just going to do <laughs> It's like it's like an airport. Like you guys know what an airport is, so it's like an airport, but like kind of Harry Potter. You know, (laughs) didn't even have to buy a ticket at the station. When Bert was fourteen, he built a fully functional cannon Mm. intended to protect the family farm from the Germans during World War One. Nice. So Bert tested it by aiming it at a wood crate he had positioned in front of the shed. But Bert's machinery was more powerful than he imagined. It not only destroyed the wood crate, but also went through the shed siding and damaged his father's drill inside the shed. Bert later recalled, quote, Dad never swore in his life, but he said one bad word when he came home and saw Pennsylvania drill with one time missing. Oh. What? I don't know. I watched so a little Bert Monroe doc last night. You sound pretty, pretty accurate. Oh, the Kiwi? They just always, it's like an Australian. Very He's sweet. always asking a question. <laughs> <laughs> From horses. It's like Lewis Hamilton. But he's oh. always asking a question. <laughs> he is asking questions. From horses to trains to home-built cannons, Bert eventually became interested in motorcycles. The first bike he rode was a Douglas, 
which he regularly borrowed from a kindly neighbor when he was 16 years old. That's an old-ass bike. After the war ended in 1918, 19-year-old Bert went to work in construction, building the Oterra Railway Tunnel in the Southern Alps. It was hard work, but it paid better than the family farm. It took a year, but Bert saved up enough money to purchase a used Kleino V-Twin bike, which had a surplus machine gun carrier with a sidecar on it during the war. He removed the sidecar to use the bike to enter local New Zealand races, this likely being the first lesson on weight reduction and engine power. And he used the machine gun to blow another hole in his dad's shed. Take that, dad. (laughs) Take that, dad. Take that, dad. Daddy? Did did they say daddy? I love it. Papa? Papa? (laughs) Dead? No, they say dead. Dead. Hey, look out, dead. Brit. I'm beach boo. I'm beach boo. Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Bert didn't stay attached for long. He sold the Kleino bike in less than a year in favor of a motorcycle he had seen in the backyard of a hotel in 1920. Backyard of a hotel? All right. (laughs) The Indian Scout. As soon as they were available, Bert placed his order. The Scout held the reputation of being the fastest production motorcycle money can buy. When he received his Indian at the tender age of just 21, Bert's life would never be the same. Bert's Indian Scout was released in 1920, the first year the model was produced. The original advertisement for the Indian Scout Model G20 touted, quote, side-by-side valves, two and three-quarter inch bore, and three and one-sixteenth inch stroke. You know what? I think metric. Yeah, metric. I was just thinking that metric's way better for stuff like this. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Okay, how big is 16? (laughs) One-sixteenth. That was in the advertisement, too? What? Oh, man. Okay, so take an inch and then (laughs) one-six times by 2.4. Okay. Uh, the bike had a displacement of 36.38 cubic inches or 596 cc. Yeah. Delivering. Way more. Way easier. It's like 600 cc. It's a yeah. 600 cc bike yeah, yeah, yeah. delivering 11 and a half first pairs. Which is pretty decent. Yeah, that's, that's a ripper, dude. I For 1920? Are you kidding me? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's a bicycle. haul the mail. There was no original rear suspension apart from the springs under the leather seat. And no front brakes, only a rear drum. Skid. Dang. The top speed of Burt's Indian was 55 miles per hour, which was considered pretty fast in a time when most cars of the era averaged a top speed of 40 to 45. So, yeah, pretty quick. Yeah. Run from the cops on that thing. Yeah. The frame was lightweight but tough. Like me. <laughs> which instantly made it a favorite for racers and stunt riders all over the world. The torquey engine helped its appeal, too. This thing sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't take long for folks in his hometown to notice Bert and his motorcycle. In 1924, he went before the Invercargill City Council for riding, quote, on the north road at a greater speed than 15 miles per hour. That's so slow. <laughs> 15 miles 15 per hour. 15 miles per hour. I can run yeah. that fast. Yeah, that's a, that was the speed limit at the time. You passed a horse and you scared it. Here's the <laughs> ticket. Horses got hammers for hands and they swing them when they get yeah. scared. I didn't really, my sister loves horses. She has two of them now. I never really what? liked them until I started playing Red Dead Redemption 2 really yeah. recently. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, I want a horse of my own. <laughs> yeah. um, in 1925, 26-year-old Bert married Florence Beryl Martin, and they moved <laughs> over to Australia. Shortly after, Bert and Beryl had, <laughs> come on. <laughs> This Bert is my wife and Beryl. And Bert and Florence. <laughs> Bert and Florence had two daughters, June and Margaret. But 
the Indian would always remain Bert's first and greatest love. Don't make fun of her. She carries a lot of weight in her torso. She's got really tiny, skinny legs. Flow barrel. (laughs) Bert started modifying his Indian by removing extra panels and parts to reduce weight and even changed the seating position to enhance his racing posture. But more surprisingly, he also fabricated family-friendly accessories. There are many stories of Bert taking his kids for rides on the gas tank of his motorcycle or in a homemade trailer or sidecar just to see how fast they could go without falling <laughs> off. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's the kind of dad I want to be. Hold on. Hold on. Along with taking his kids to school on the fastest production motorcycle money could buy. I mean, this is like him taking, like your dad taking you to school on like a sick Ducati. Yeah. yeah. You know? Like a, a, a Prilia, the Hayabusa. Oh, yeah. A Busa. Busa. Try not to fall off. Bert competed <laughs> in several forms of motorcycle racing, such as hill climbs, which are terrifying, motocross events, which are terrifying. They were called scrambles back then. Oh, yeah. You just ride to the fields. Yeah. And speedway racing, where he started using a technique called broadsiding, which is pretty much drifting on a motorcycle. Getting the freaking bike down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah get that Getting freaking that sidewall, bike down. counter steering into burp, it. Burp, burp. Dragging me. <laughs> Dragon knee. You know? That's oh, what yeah. I, I that's one of my favorite karate moves that I do. Dragon knee. Dragon knee. <laughs> yeah, the dragon knee. Good. Yeah. Could knock someone out with that. Speedway racing was just beginning to blossom as a sport in the late twenties in Australia, but required specially built motorcycles with only one gear, no brakes, to race around a dirt oval track. Oh yeah. Only one gear, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> It was during these races that Bert first experienced speed wobble problems and had to jump off his bike mid-race. Bert wrote about it once. I hit one of these rain getters and the bike shot up in the air. When she landed, she got into a speed wobble. I knew she wouldn't take the bend. I didn't want to die till the end of the race at least. (laughs) So I jumped off the back. And I let it go. Whee! <laughs> in 1929, at the start of the Great Depression, 30-year-old Bert couldn't find work in Australia and moved his family back to New Zealand. Shortly after, Bert and Beryl had two more children, Gwen and John. Gwen's a pretty name. And John's a normal name. (laughs) (laughs) And Bert found fulfilling work as a traveling motorcycle salesman at a firm called Tappers. He also continued modifying his Indian. Bert's engine modification centered around making his bike go faster and faster. Not only did he change the engine from a side valve to an overhead valve configuration, he also continuously bored his cylinders, which he made from an old gas pipe. Bigger and bigger. Wow. Yeah, dude. Back in the day, people would, like, forge blocks and yeah, stuff. this guy's doing it. <laughs> Bert began casting his own alloy pistons, first by using baking powder tins and dry dirt, then moved on to using sand, and then eventually die casting. That's insane. His yeah. debt's not working. I got to get something new. We, we've been sand. wanting to do that for a while. We've been, or we for built a long a time. forge. We did. Yeah. And we... We did some sand casting. We did some sand... They were just little ingots, though, weren't they? Oh, it was the hand. It was a six million hand. That's right. Yeah, oh, that was we two co- million ago. Yeah, we... That is. Wow. We collected uh, cans for, like, years, but the bags wouldn't move anywhere, 
and just flies would start flying around oh, the bags God. full yeah. of like cans, the the, 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 the soda and the cans. <laughs> yeah, I t- that was when I first um, brought Emily here, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Come check out the office." And I take her, and I was like, "Where is everyone?" And we <laughs> walk out to the back, and like six guys with no shirts on are yeah. shooting BB guns at. The glass bottles <laughs> at one thirty on a Thursday. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Bert was always very creative when it came to modifying or fixing his motorcycles. The raw material Bert used on the bike often had unique sources, like a Ford truck axle as the connecting rods for his Indian. A mod that lasted over twenty years. Well, I think he like melted it yeah, down. Yeah. Oh. Still, I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I guess he was like. Uh, mate, must be pretty strong metal. Dude, the <laughs> fact that they can do this without computers is crazy to me. I know. By his own calculations, Bert managed to improve his bike's top speed by about three miles per hour oh per God. year. That's pretty good. That is yeah. pretty good. Bert's philosophy on his improvements was simple. More often than not, I blew out some part of the engine. By doing this, you learn the weak parts that need to be modified and can go even faster before the engine packs it up again. <laughs> By the end of the is 19- this guy a leprechaun? He's fun, yeah. By the end of the 1930s, Bert was a regular at Oretti Beach races. One interesting incident occurred in 1937 when sand got in his eyes. Bert crashed into a fellow racer and went flying through the air, landed on wet sand, only to have the other racer's bike land on ah, top of him. Ow. His brother joked about how long it took them to comb the beach after all of Bert's missing gold-filled teeth. That's a fun thing to joke about someone who's yeah. like critically injured. Hey, all your teeth are out oh. there, huh? <laughs> Gonna need a detective for all those teeth. All those teeth you're missing because your head got smashed by a motorcycle. I but I'm just kidding. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Over the next several years, Bert became a local legend as he constantly pushed the limits of his building and riding skills. At this point, his Indian was so heavily modified that he began entering races under a new name, the Monroe Special. Then in 1940, 40-year-old Bert broke the national speed record at 120 miles per hour and became the fastest man in New Zealand, a record that he held for 12 years. 
Thanks to his modifications and engine capacity increases from 596cc to 608cc, he more than doubled his bike's top speed. What? Going like 10cc? I think what it really is, it's not the capacity necessarily, but the efficiency of that older motor compared to all the stuff that he did Mm, to it. Okay. Yeah. Because you know how like in the gas crisis times, like the first... Like malaise cars had like 400 cubic inch V8s, yeah, but with yeah. like a single carburetor, right? And it was like 127 yeah, horsepower. Exactly. 127 horsepower, 9.5 liter V8. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Unfortunately, Bert's work and personal life were turbulent during this decade. In the same year he broke the speed record, Bert was in an accident where he sustained a brain hemorrhage and was concussed for a week. Oh. As a result, he was forced to take a hiatus from racing and working for almost a year. When Bert eventually returned to Tappas, he switched from traveling salesman to workshop foreman. After separating from his wife and after the death of his father, Bert committed to work on his Indian full-time, or as he put it in a 1971 letter, In 1948, I decided to give up work and concentrate on getting good run out of my old bike. <laughs> <laughs> I love New Zealanders. Yeah, man. so like pure it's a beautiful nice. country too. Yeah, There's, I'd love to go there. Mm-hmm. Just like cool. bask in the streams. In 1951, Bert purchased some land. Must be nice. Where he began to build his iconic shed. His iconic <laughs> shed. You know uh, that thing we teased? Oh yeah, the tease. <laughs> what happened in Bert's shed, guys? It's the shed from the oh, intro. Okay, here we go. What happened in there, Bert? Nobody knows. <laughs> the iconic shed, a single car garage where he lived and worked for the rest of his life. What? What happened to the kids? What happened to the wife? <laughs> okay, wow. This is a sad story. But he's kind of still just no, no, no. In there. It is a sad story. <laughs> yeah. Just because the guy has a funny voice and a good demeanor does not mean it's a happy story. No, this is the man sad. is living in a 10 by 20 shed yeah. Yeah. for the rest of his life. <laughs> a single car garage where he lived and worked for the rest of his life. Good oh Lord. Lord. Okay. This garage. I got to like mentally shift gears. Here yeah, too. man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, all right. Just keep in mind when I describe this place, he's sharing it with a motorcycle. <laughs> The garage was 10 by 20 feet, oh, okay. which is the max allowed by post-war building regulations. But the small space allowed him to save money on heating costs in the winter. Oh, that's, yeah. that's great. Gotta find the go. silver so, linings, dude. Yeah. Gotta yeah. find the positives. He would just run his motorcycle. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. It's just for the heat. Getting real sleepy in here. <laughs> just running it for the heat. What's up? Oh, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. I keep finding post-it notes. Dot. It's in my handwriting, but I don't remember writing it. <laughs> Bert worked 16-hour days on his self-constructed garage, surrounded by used and broken parts from his modifications that he called Offerings to the gods of speed. Oh, I love that. He also somehow found time to be a member of a motorcycle club, attended club events regularly, and loved going to parties. Yeah, because then he could go to other houses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't even touch both the walls. (laughs) I love going to parties. Bert mused about the meaning of life. It's effort and concentration that makes life worthwhile. And nice ladies around are a big help. As the guy at the party said, if there's no women, 
There's no party for me. Dude, this is not a sad story. This guy's cool. Uh, dude, yeah. hound dogs ain't sad. Uh, <laughs> still in that garage. Bert was also a big part of his local community. A local kid spoke fondly of him and his shed. (laughs) (laughs) He lived in the garage, which always smelt of engine oil. There was an old couch we used to sit on. The Indian bike. Is this like a deposition? (laughs) (laughs) Where's this coming In a trial. The Indian bike was in the middle. And the shelves were full of pots of all kinds. Another kid said, I assume after being hypnotized. I always had confidence in Bert and thought of him as the nicest, kindest man in the world. He never grumped at me. And I wasn't too fussed on him patting me on the head with his greasy old hands. (laughs) Come on. Come I'm on. A, uh, <laughs> yeah. Crazy old hands. I'm not grumped at him. I'm not grumped at you. I'm going to start saying that. I'm not grumped yeah. at you. Dude, I'm not grumped at you, That's dog. That's pretty good. Dude, I'm not grumped at it. <laughs> I ain't grumped at it, dog. If anything, uh, I'm chuffed. I ain't chuffed, dude. I'm not chuffed or grumped, dude. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't even grumped about it, dude. <laughs> See, you're over there grumping. Dude, yeah. Why are you guys all... I ain't grumping. You dude. guys grumped about it or not? <laughs> uh-huh. I'm living rent free in your head. You're all grumped up. You're grumped up. I'm bricked up, dude. Dude, I'm bricked up and chuffed. You guys <laughs> over there being all grumped up. <laughs> Despite his comfortable home life, when Bert was 56, he decided he couldn't wait any longer to see the world. So, in April of 1955, he traveled to Europe to watch the Isle of Man TT and other big continental motorcycle races. His unmistakable, devil-may-care attitude, luminous personality, and sharp wit garnered him instant friendships with like-minded bike enthusiasts. He ended up traveling with friends from Australia and beyond before returning home to New Zealand in October 1955. While on this trip, Bert learned that NSU, a German motorcycle manufacturer, was about to attempt to set new records at the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah. That man's name was Ernie. A new dream was born. Bert learned. Bert learned. Bert learned. Hey, Bert. Hey, Bert. At 57... Bert left New Zealand to make his first pilgrimage to the famous Bonneville Salt Flats. Though he intended it to be a sightseeing mission, somehow Smooth Talk and Bert ended up helping out the official NSU team for 10 days on the Salt Flats. They turned out 32 records that year. Good Lord. Bert wow. quickly fell in love with the land and the welcoming culture of fellow Speed Week attendees and enthusiasts. That's kind of something I, if I may talk about myself for a sec. Please um, do. We got time. No, I mean, that's something that I really learned quickly was that, like, the people that are going to Speed Week are people that go for, like, decades, you know? Yeah. It's like once Lifers. the salt hooks you, you're there. And, like, it, there really is a community, and everyone there wants you to, you know, have fun, but also, like, there's a the structure of Speed Week. You got to follow yeah. that, but, like, they want you to... To go down the salt, man. It's really That's cool. the true salt life. Yeah, that is the true that salt life. That is the true salt life. It was around this time that Bert was beginning to be known by motorcycle enthusiasts and journalists alike. After all, 
He held a New Zealand open record of 143 miles per hour as well as a 131 mile per hour beach record. Gosh. Yikes. That's hauling on sand, dude. Yeah, Hold dude. On. So he got a few write-ups while traveling, including by an American motorcycle magazine that spelt his name B-U-R-T instead of the New Zealand spelling B-E-R-T. Bert didn't mind and came to prefer his American spelling, which is one typically used in reference to him. There you go. Learn yeah. something every day. Bert. Mm-hmm. With a U. Yep. Bert eventually came back to New Zealand to work on his Monroe special. He wanted to return to Bonneville to see what he could do with it and worked tirelessly to modify it for the flats. Bert had brought back some aluminum from his 1955 trip to England for a streamliner shell. Hmm. Like a cowl. Yeah, yeah. they have aluminum where he lives, too. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not in 1955. It took Bert five years to complete the project. He designed the look after being inspired by goldfish in a pond, mm. then oh, cool. hammered out the metal by hand. And, of course, he vigorously tested what he created by attaching wooden models to the door mirrors of his car. That's pretty smart. That's really cool. After a test run on the motorcycle, he realized the aluminum shell was too small and made switching into the top gear difficult. So in 1959, he built another shell in just three months. Bert made his new streamliner shell wider and longer and out of fiberglass by using the aluminum as a mold. Ah, the Monroe Special was finally ready to go to Bonneville. That's Let's go, cool baby. that he just knows how to do the, all this stuff, you know? Well, he, like, learned. Yeah. Like, taught himself. Not much to do in the shed, but learn. Yeah, Not, yeah and exactly. pat some kid's head with your yeah. greasy old hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not grumped about it. I'm not grumped. In 1962, Bert returned to the salt to compete at the National Speed Trials. He was 63 years old. Whether Bert had any intention of breaking records is unclear, but... The need to know what his custom hand-modified machine could do was truly too strong for him to ignore. To even get his 1920 Indian Scout into the U.S., Bert was told he would have to pay a $10,000 bond, a pretty outrageous amount even by today's prices. I mean, back in 62, yeah. that's insane. That's a ton of money. But Bert, with his gift of gab and plain dumb luck, was able to find a Saul Goodman-type solicitor who took on his case for free. By some miracle or maybe due to Bert's plentiful offerings to the gods of speed, he was able to avoid the fee completely. Anyone racing at Bonneville has to pass a safety inspection. The Burt Monroe Special was mostly hand-built, including his racing tires, what? And originally assembled nearly yeah, five wait. decades earlier. Back yeah, up. That's, <laughs> he made his own tires? I guess so. Interesting. So this would be no simple feat. Bert didn't have any time to make any adjustments for the safety inspection, so... He cleverly positioned his bike and wheels so that the inspectors couldn't see the dodgy bits. <laughs> With another dash of luck and the sheer amusement of onlookers, friends, and supporters, Bert was clear to take off. I'll tell you, if you try to hide your sketchy stuff yeah. these days, it's not going to work. They're, it ain't going to work. It's coming right from that. Nolan. They're going to look through all that stuff. They don't want you to die. Yeah. Because yeah. then scrutiny comes yeah. to the salt. <laughs> uh, yes, they want you to be safe Yeah The first test run on the salt was supposed to show That the racer could handle his bike It was his rookie run Unfortunately though, Bert experienced some bad speed wobble on the salt And assumed that he would be excluded from the competition 
But when he got back to the starting line, Burt thought the officials would never let him make a pass. But he had qualified with a top speed of 174 Whoa. miles per hour wow. and was allowed to go again. Good Lord. That's fast on an old that's bicycle. An old so bike made with tires of emu leather. <laughs> <laughs> the officials were also shocked after he told them he'd never even topped out in second gear when he passed by. They wanted to see what this old man could do. The next day, Bert was signed up for a record-breaking attempt, and he made a pass that qualified him at 178 miles per hour. Unfortunately, Bert's bike stalled from lack of fuel while on top gear, and even though he coasted to a safe stop, he wasn't able to get the, the bike going again. He was laying down in the shade of his bike when the ground crew found him with a burn on his leg from the exhaust. Bert recalls this moment. When my fans got down there, I was laughing like hell, and they wanted to know what I was laughing at. I said, well, I should be dead long ago, but I'm so pleased to be alive, I can't help laughing. He's so cute. Yeah, dude, he's adorbs. <laughs> Despite the, he is like a cartoon character. Yeah, he's like the uh, he's uh, Frodo. He's a little Bilbo he, Baggins. He's like a Frodo. Yeah. He's like a Bilbo. Frodo's kind of a bummer. Yeah, he's like a Samwise to me. Like just, he's more like a Mary, like a Perry, a, a Perry, Mary or Pippin. Oh, Mary or Perry. Yeah, yeah. He's like a Pippin, really. Pippin. Yeah, like a Pippin. Pippin. Despite the disappointment, Bert decided to stick around the flats to fix his bike. Then, a few nights later, the other hot rodders threw him a party. The Speed Week committee awarded him the Sportsman of the Year trophy, and his fans and friends gave him $1,300 to continue to live his 1320 best. Yeah, 1320 bucks to continue to live his best speedy life. Bert stayed around the salt for six weeks to recover from his leg burn. and kept How bad was his burn? I guess pretty bad. <laughs> and he kept tinkering with his Indian in the meantime. He added a lead brick he crafted from old batteries to try to avoid tire spin and wobbling at certain speeds. Bert recalls thinking during a run, And I remembered what people used to say. If you get in a wobble, open up the throttle. <laughs> That's what Jeremiah did on the mini bike. Yeah. When we're doing that uh, at the airstrip, the, he had really bad speed wobble and he had to throttle through it to, to clear it. Unsurprisingly, he kept tinkering when he went back to New Zealand. Bert even changed his Indian's engine from a two cam configuration over to a four cam. Holy what? moly. Simply because he had made some valves that didn't work with the original two cam setup spark timing. So, yeah, why not make it even more complicated? In 1963, <laughs> Bert returned to Bonneville, but on his first mile, his engine blew, and he had no spare parts with him. Since he couldn't do another run, Bert had no official record attempt that year. And as a result, he learned a valuable lesson, always bring extra parts. Mm -hmm. The next few years were similarly disappointing, as in 1964, a storm ruined any chance he had at racing. You and know what that's like. That I, happened to you last year. I know what that's like. Yeah. And then in 1965... When he raised his engine to 900 cc, it kept burning up. That's a big jump from 600, 608 to 900. That's a big jump. Bert. That's a big jump, but big jump. What's you thinking, bet? Thinking that's a big jump. I think that's a big old jump. Then in 1966, Bert pushed his bike to its absolute limit. He discovered that his bike would only develop a speed wobble if he went over 200 miles per hour. <laughs> I can't, dude. Yeah, that's like just imagine discovering that and be like. Oh, yeah, well, it only starts shaking really crazy if I go over 200. <laughs> this is crazy, man. Bert also realized that the only way to stabilize the speed wobble was to sit up and face the elements, which helped shift the center of pressure backwards. But 
Bert couldn't get the lever to lower the support wheels and ended up crashing. Yeah, yeah, they have like little retractable like training wheels. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Makes the whole thing kind of lame, if you ask me. His <laughs> <laughs> average speed. Isn't that a car? No. Yeah. You're riding it. Still got handlebars. Yeah. I mean, you want a car with handlebars, I'll find you one in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. His average speed for that year may have been 168 miles per hour, but Bert now knew for sure that his motorcycle was capable of going over 200. This is in the 60s. The bike is from the 20s. He's made all the parts himself. Like, I can't believe he's still alive. Uh, me neither, man. This is insane. <coughs> you got Sorry. salt in your leg. You got, I got salt, salt. Yeah. Honestly, I had I could like taste salt for like five days. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, Whoa. no, it like embeds in you almost. Wow. Yeah. That's I was crazy. so dry, dude. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Did you take a little vial home? No, I didn't get you. I wanted. To, I, I was gonna do that. I forgot, Joe. Sorry, you're not supposed Sorry. to take. Sorry, I you're said not. I wanted brine. Yeah, why didn't Give you me get us any brine, dude? There was so much brine out there. Yeah, yeah, because it was just covered. The it was salt water everywhere. Yeah, I would have liked a big old glass. I would have drunk that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you love brine. I love briny stuff. I love savory items. Yeah. I love savory items. <laughs> for 1967, competitors were told to fit a parachute for their bikes in a rule change that ended up being dropped just before starting. But Bert used this opportunity to rethink his streamliner. He figured that it needed to take in more air for both stability and engine cooling efficiency. Nothing, and I mean nothing, was going to stop him from making his one good run. By the end of the week, Bert managed to have a few good runs and broke the 1,000-class record 1,000 cc class record at 183 miles per hour. Bert's updates to the streamliner were noticeably successful. This turned out to be the highest record speed of a motorcycle for the 1967 Hot Rod Week, and Bert received a special trophy for this accomplishment. Hot Rod Magazine's been getting a, a, uh, an award for decades now, the highest speed for uh, car and motorcycle. He also won the American Motorcyclist of the Year at 68 years Jeez. old. Nice. That's cool. Around this time, Burt began to modify another Indian frame to keep in the U.S. since bringing the Monroe Special through American Customs was such a hassle. In the years following, following, Burt would simply store the frame and streamliner at a friend's workshop here in the U.S. Then he would disassemble the engine and gearbox and pack it away in a suitcase to carry through customs without any questions from the authorities. When he got home to New Zealand, he would tune and uh, work on his record-breaking engine and gearbox, testing them on other bike frames. That's cool. That's pretty smart. Bringing it's carry on. Yeah. Even though Bert was getting older, he wanted to attempt one last record at Speed Week. In 1970, he tried using nitro fuel instead of methanol in his bike, and it destroyed his engine. Yeah. He wasn't able to complete a run that year. Bert later spoke on what it would take for him to quit his dreams during an interview with documentarian Roger Donaldson. I guess I'm a fanatic or an enthusiast. I've been called a super enthusiast, working on my bike for so many years. I think if a thing's worth doing, it's worth finishing if you can. Lots of people ask me when I'm going to give it up, and I say, I'm never going to give it up until I get a good run. <laughs> Wee! 
By the 1970s, Bert had a cult following of motorcycle fans of all ages. Sometimes his fans would come and visit his little shed and take photos with him, which he never showed up in. (laughs) (laughs) Bert would gleefully show them around his shop and loved to start his Indian for his fans at all hours of the night, to the dismay of his neighbors. This is how Bert first met the aforementioned Roger Donaldson, who made two films about him, a documentary called Offerings to the God of Speed, and a 2005 film, The World's Fastest Indian, yeah, which starred Sir Anthony Hopkins. Tony I, Hops. I watched a little bit of Offerings last night. Yeah, you said you didn't, no, pretty, pretty, slow, pretty slow, pretty dry. So he, he's Ironic. a filmmaker finding yeah. his footing. Ironic okay. that it's slow. Yeah. Because it's about going fast. Yeah. Ah. Donaldson was a fellow Indian rider, so he and Bert bonded instantly. Donaldson later described the meeting. We we were greeted by a scruffy elderly gentleman with a wicked twinkle in his eyes and a broad winning smile. Bert made us a cup of tea using a water tank on the outside of the shed. A few minutes later, he used the same tank to thrust a hot piston into. A <laughs> uh, uh, what? Yeah, a hot piston. Okay. With a big chuckle, Bert replied, Yeah, gives the tea a nice taste of titanium, doesn't it? Oh, and God. I vomited for hours. Roger Donaldson also directed Dante's Peak. No way. I love yeah. Dante's really? Peak. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> no. Uh, wow. The Recruit. With What's... Colin Farrell. Wow. Species. Whoa. Yeah. Cocktail with Tom Cruise. No way. Oh, man. Okay. Dude, come yeah. on. Okay. And he's got All one right. coming out called McLaren. Oh, no. He directed a, yeah, McLaren. Uh, I think that's a. Is that a documentary? I think so. Nice. Okay, okay Roger Donaldson. Yeah. Uh, Species was okay. one of the first movies that made me horny. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Was that when the astronaut's wife uh, no, I think that's the astronaut's wife. <laughs> oh, some new. Uh, it's been a while since we got some new James Pumphrey James lore. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, I was like, man, I'd let her, I'd let that alien eat me. In 1971, Burke <laughs> took the documentary film crew to the Salt Flats with him. However, his Indian did not run very well that year. And Burt was not able to demonstrate what he and the Monroe Special could do, regardless. Offerings to the God of Speed aired on New Zealand television in 1973. In July 1975, Bert Monroe traveled to America for the last time. He was 74. Bert had made many friends on his 14 trips to the U.S. and wanted to visit his buddies one last time. He also brought an engine to put on the American Indian frame so he could keep his beloved 1920s bike at home. After he came back from America... Bert took things a bit easier. He built a proper house next to his work shed, and finally, come on, yeah. he built. It's <laughs> crazy to me. But I, the house just had his motorcycle in it. Yeah, he, he stayed still in the shed. Stayed in the shed. Couldn't sleep in the house. Yeah. Too loud. <laughs> and he was ready to enjoy a quiet life. But taking life easy did not mean Bert stopped riding motorbikes. In 1975, at 74 years of age, he broke another record with an average speed of 136 miles per hour on the New Zealand beach for the first time in four years. Two years after that, the fastest Kiwi was admitted to the hospital after suffering a stroke. 
His close friend Norman Hayes paid Bert $1,300 for the original 1920 Monroe Special Indian and another of Bert's bikes. His record-breaking Indian is now on permanent display with other offerings to the God of Speed at E. Hayes & Sons Hardware Store in Invercargill. <laughs> the store also has a few replica motorcycles made for the world's fastest Indian movie. Even though he recovered quickly from his stroke, Burt Monroe passed away at 78 from natural causes on January 6th, 1978. And every year we travel to the capital. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jay Barishaw was at oh, yeah, January 6th. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he was the one that set up the noose. Yeah. Yeah. He left behind his four children and many grandchildren. Bert's obituary in Speed Week's official program read, Bert Monroe was one of those people who has been most everywhere, done most everything, and enjoyed the entire game of life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. In 2005, the Southland Motorcycle Club decided to honor Monroe with their aptly named Bert Monroe Challenge. It is still one of New Zealand's major motorsport events. The following year, Burt was inducted into the AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame, and in March 2013, Indian Motorcycle announced a custom-built streamliner, the Spirit of Monroe, to honor his achievements. That's sick. That's really cool. I'm going to click that link on the script. And oh, see what that's oh, very cool. Dang, oh, that thing's rad. Oh, wow. That's a nice-looking bike. Uh, I just joined the out. wait list to buy one of these things. <laughs> it looks like an action figure motorcycle. Looks like what Robin would ride. <laughs> <laughs> This is Daredevil's uh, motorcycle. Look out! This streamliner <laughs> showed... <laughs> no, he clicks. He, he clicks to know where he is. The streamliner showcases the Thunderstroke 111 engine, which was later used in one of their 2014 road bikes. So that's cool. In 2013, 36 years after Burt's death, his 1967 record of 183 miles per hour was changed to 184 miles per hour retroactively thanks to a calculator mistake his son, John, noticed in the averages between his runs. Uh, Bert's record still stands to this day. Wow. Wow. The story of Bert Monroe is of stubborn persistence to follow your dreams no matter your age. He joyfully embodied the spirit of rugged individualism, but not the exclusionary kind. He chose to see every engine blow up as an opportunity to learn more and come back stronger. Bert always said, you can live more in five minutes on a bike than some can live in their lifetimes. Bert must have lived hundreds of lifetimes on his 1920 Monroe special. Against all odds, including age, health, finances, loneliness, and logistics, Bert's ingenuity and world-class personality solidified his status among the upper echelons of the Bonneville deities. Or as Bert himself put it, Don't underestimate an old man. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> I was waiting for that. There you go. Dude, I miss, I, I miss Bert. Yeah, I miss Bert. I never Bert. met the guy, but I miss him, dude. I'm all grumped up that Bert. I never <laughs> got to meet Bert. Yeah, so for a motorcycle under a thousand cc's, that's the class. Hundred eighty-four miles per hour. Yeah. Still the record. Still the record. Damn, I found it a little. I don't know if it's sweet or sad that his son was doing the math thirty-six years later. But well, he's a mathematician, and he just oh, he's like I just to gotta do numbers. Yeah, I love numbers. It doesn't look right. What a cool story! What a great little guy! I want to see this animated. 
Oh, I want to yeah. see, see an animated mm-hmm. version That'd of this. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Pixar. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll shop around. We'll shop around. Yeah. Yeah, Pixar, you're, we'd love to work with you, but we're shopping around. Yeah. <laughs> we're still to commit at this time. We don't want to commit to you, Pixar. We're still talking to DreamWorks. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to make me into a minion. Yeah, DreamWorks says they'll make me into a minion. (laughs) (laughs) We got some listener mail this week. This is from Brendan over in the UK. Hey, guys, not sure if you'll see this. Hey, guys, not sure if you'll see this or not, but I listened to the episode today on Citroen, and you mentioned how cool a slam type H van would be. Well, look no further. Sorry, it's a little basic, but I think it slaps. Keep up the amazing work, you buggers. Brandon Roberts, United Kingdom. Whoa, that's sick. Oh, that's a shop. That's a shop, Brandon. Yeah, it's a shop. He said it's basic. He said it's basic. That's a shop. It still looks cool, though. It does look cool. That's sick. Thank you for sending in your font. I love the font. That is a cool font. I love the fonts, Brandon. Matches the the, 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 The vibe. Yeah. Yeah. You got a serif, you got a sans serif, oh. you got a script yes. on one van. Yes. Love it. Brian. All right. Yes. It's been a long one. Thank you so much for sticking it's with your us. Fault. I know. I told a good story. Um, follow James on all social media at James Pumphrey. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes if you'd like. I got some pictures of the Bonneville car if you want to see it there if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, thank you so much to Christina Felski and our writer this week. Alice, Alice Pye. Pye. Thank you so much. And producer Gavin, of course, over there on the board. And, and our Nick. cameraman, and Nick. Nick. I was getting to Nick. You were getting to Nick. I got it. Well, maybe Nick doesn't need to be last. Maybe I should be last. All right. Well, we'll mix it up next time. Yeah. All right. Thank you so maybe. much. See you next time.